0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop
1: into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Hello, Face the Nation podcast listeners. It's Margaret Brennan. We're back this week with our latest Twitter space, a chat with our top CBS polling gurus about our Georgia Battleground tracker. The Senate race there between Republican Herschel Walker and Democrat. Sitting Senator Raphael Warnock could tilt the balance of the Senate. And our experts also have new insight into the governor's race, plus a preview of some new numbers that will debut this weekend on Face the Nation. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone out there in Twitter land. This is Margaret Brennan from Face the Nation on CBS. I hope you're well this Friday. Um, Excuse me, I've got battling a little bit of a cold here after running around the UN all week in New York City. We're back in Washington, and I want to welcome everyone to the latest Face the Nation Twitter space. We are 46 days away from the 2022 midterm elections, and this is just, we're on speed dial, speed racing here. And we want to harness the full resources of CBS News to zero in on some of these really important races. So we brought in our CBS polling gurus today, that's CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto, and CBS News Deputy Director of Elections and Data Analytics Kabir Khanna. To get some context and expert analysis, we're joined by the Managing Editor of the Sabato Crystal Ball at the University of Virginia Center for Politics, Wahoo Wah, Kyle Kondek. And we're going to have some brand new national polling data to roll out this Sunday and face the nation. So maybe we'll get a little bit of a preview. But I want to also focus in on a key state, Georgia. So, Anthony, Kabir, Kyle, can you hear me?
3: Sure can. Hi, Margaret.
2: Hey. Yes, we can. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, So, Anthony, Kabir, you're, you're really busy crunching all this data. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us Um, And you're really focusing in for Sunday on that big question of which party is going to end up with control of Congress. One key Senate seat, of course, maybe in Georgia. Um, Democrat Raphael Warnock made history as the first black Democratic senator from the South when he won the seat back in 2020. Your polling has been showing this week that he has about a two point lead ahead of the Republican candidate. Walker, why is it so tight?
1: Uh, hey, Margaret, and hi, everybody. Thanks for joining. It is is great to, to catch up with you. I um, To answer your question, it's tight because there's this uh, different ways in which people are approaching this campaign. For Warnock, we measured a battery of candidate qualities and characteristics. Uh, are they a uh, good role model? Do they have strong moral character? Do they have the right experience? And on all of those... Warnock had uh, a distinct edge. He was up by 13 points on strong moral character. He was up 52-28 on having the right experience. So that's kind of underpinning his his support uh, for uh, one thing that is. But then you see this very different calculus on the part of Walker's voters. They're looking, if I might characterize it, as a, a national race. And they're largely voting for him as a protest against the Biden administration, as a way to put Republicans into control of Congress, even though he trails on those other candidate characteristics. So you really want to understand what voters are looking for and the way in which they're approaching their choice. And you see that in sort of two very distinct, two very distinct forms there, Margaret.
2: Hmm. Well, you know, Kabir some Republicans had hoped nominating an African-American candidate in Herschel Walker might help Republicans pull back some black support from Senator Warnock. Are you seeing any of that dynamic play out here?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. And to be honest in, in our survey data, it doesn't really look like that dynamic is taking place. So when we subset black likely voters in Georgia, we see that 92% are currently supporting Warnock and that's that nine and 10 is pretty similar to how uh, Joe Biden did in the state in 2020. So that, that looks to be about stable. And then if we drill down to the Atlanta metro area, where lots of black voters live, we see that eight and 10 are supporting Warnock at the moment, again, fairly stable from 2020. And then more at like an attitudinal level. Um, Black voters say that Warnock is is closer to their views on race in America than Herschel Walker is, and also that Warnock is more likely to work for policies that are going to help uh, Black Georgians. Um, So, yeah, the the bottom line is we're not really seeing evidence so far that um, Herschel Walker is making inroads with Black voters, at least, you know, relative to the recent past. Um, And just to sort of piggyback on what Anthony was saying. I think this poll has a lot of really interesting findings um, particularly with respect to negative partisanship or this idea that partisans are sometimes voting more in opposition to the other side than because they strongly back their party's candidate. Um, so it's reminiscent of a dynamic we've seen across the country in in some other battleground states, but four in 10 of Walker's current supporters tell us that they wish the GOP had nominated someone different. Hmm. That's, that's a pretty sizable number. Um, They, but despite that, those folks who say they uh, wish they had a different nominee, nine in 10 of them say they wouldn't even consider Warnock. Um, The R next to Herschel Walker's name is powerful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of his supporters are voting to keep Warnock. Um, out of office or to to get him out of office and to cast a vote in opposition to President Biden. Um, Whereas if you look at Walker's, or excuse me, Raphael Warnock supporters, Anthony was saying, there's more enthusiasm for Warnock and more people who say that they they like him. It's not just about opposing the other party.
2: Gotcha. Kyle, is that, I mean, you've been watching the state for a while. I mean, is it normally sort of like reflecting of these national instincts and and party over policy, which is kind of what I think I am hearing come out of this poll.
4: I think it's pretty common for elections these days to to borrow a term that Kabir says to feature this negative partisanship where people really are voting more against the other party than for their, their own party. And, you know, it's also logical to a certain extent. I mean, even if you think that Herschel Walker, you know, maybe he's not qualified for the Senate because he's never held elected office before and um, his background really isn't in, in, uh, you know, in public policy or, or that sort of thing, um, you, you may still feel like, hey, if I send Herschel Walker to the Senate – He's going to support a Republican majority leader in the Senate. He's going to help the Republicans get a majority, and that's going to be good for me because I'm a conservative and I support X, Y, and Z. So, like the the you know the the old sort of trope is that people say, "Oh, well, I vote for the person and not for the party." Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people lie about that anyway. <laughs> it's probably more dramatic now than it than it used to be. And I also like I can't sit here and say that that's necessarily Ill- illogical because if, if you look at our elections as kind of more sort of parliamentary based more about party majorities than maybe the identity of the actual members of the house and Senate, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not, again, it's not an illogical position to take. And it is interesting in the poll that like, you know, people, uh, uh, Walker voters, 72 to two are voting to oppose Biden. Um, Warnock voters only 53 to two to support Biden. And then Warnock does really well among those who say it's not about Biden. So if Walker wins, it's basically a straight kind of negative referendum against
2: Biden, I think. Mm Hmm. And, I mean, what are you thinking, Kyle, as you watch? Like, where does Georgia rank for you in terms of, you know, states uh, showing a a really interesting race underway? Obviously, at the national level, there's been a lot of attention um, on these two candidates, in part because of the background of Herschel Walker. Um, You know, when we hear uh, Leader McConnell talk about candidate quality, they go and point right at Georgia and some of the questions about Herschel Walker's background and qualifications.
4: Yeah, and we talk about, you know, Donald Trump's continuing influence in the Republican Party. I mean I think it's fair to say that Trump is a huge reason why Walker is even a candidate in this race. And it seems reasonable to think that maybe the Republicans would be in better shape if, if they had kind of a more traditional politician running. Um, at the same time, you know, the race is right there for the taking. I mean at our you know Crystal Balnews letter, we have just two Senate races as toss-ups, Nevada and Georgia uh hmm. and i really feel like those are you know to me they're the most questions about those races you do have the possibility that georgia could go to a runoff which um last time it would it was in january of, of 2021 this time would be i think december 6th 2022 uh uh so that's also looming over so you know it's possible that you know 2 years after the senate was decided in georgia runoffs um you could you could maybe have the same thing going on uh this time as well
2: on the in, in the cbs polling the question was asked about strong moral character, and that was one of the factors where Senator Warnock has this thirteen-point advantage. Um, you know, it's interesting, Anthony and Kabir, just trend-wise. When you hear people these days, you know, rant and rave about Washington and um, their disillusionment with institutions and and the quality of lawmakers, moral character isn't a phrase you hear very often. But but this is a preacher. Um, I mean, explain why and and what answers to that question of strong moral character, like what you think you were getting when you spoke to people in the field.
1: When you put together a survey, you try to best capture the dynamic that you see the campaign uh, trying to play, play off of, or among other things. So you see a campaign in which on some level, whether it's the ads or the speeches, Candidates are trying to differentiate themselves on things like if it's one for moral character, if it's experience, certainly you see Warnock trying to talk about that. Um, So that's the kind of thing you look for when you design a survey. Say, okay, well, if the campaigns are trying that out, let's see if it's resonating. And that has, I think, news value and understanding um, of Mm -hmm. the campaign. So so, yeah, that's that's one of the that's one of the measures. But then at the same time, you try to measure out. What it is that, uh, as I said before, what it is that Walker's voters are looking for because they're still voting for him, even when. And this is also true of some Republicans, frankly, even when they concede the point on things like experience to the other to the other candidate. And, you know, so if they have a rationale for voting for him or a different reason that they like him then you want to try to pick that up as well. I think the other dynamic here um, that I want to bring up for the the listeners is we are talking a lot about a nationalized race, but we also need to pay attention to the governor's race there Mm -hmm. in the sense that Brian Kemp is running ahead. He's running ahead of Stacey Abrams in our survey but he's also running ahead of, obviously, the, the Republican, the other Republican on the ticket, Walker. And so you have to ask yourself going forward, can Warnock, if he is to hold this lead, run ahead of his, his Republic, the Republican on the ticket for the governor's race? And since we see such little split ticket voting overall nationally these days, I think that becomes a real challenge going forward. You're going to have a lot of people voting for Kemp on that, on that ballot. What, to what extent do they cross over, if you will, and also vote for Warnock, I think, could be determinative here.
2: Yeah, that question of split ticket dynamic was something our Jake Miller on the Face the Nation team had flagged as being really interesting. Um, explain why you think that's playing out here.
1: Um, one of them is that people in the state of Georgia think things in the state are going well. And they think the state's economy is going well. So in that sense, we're sort of back to fundamentals with, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people think things are going well. There's a certain component of the electorate that just votes for an incumbent. And Brian Kemp is the incumbent. So there you go. Now, the other part of this, though, is that here's another dynamic to watch in this race. You've got Kemp obviously is going to talk about how well he thinks things are going in the state. But you've got Walker who wants to benefit from voters thinking that the national economy isn't good. And mm. of course, nationwide, people don't think the economy is good. That's accruing to Republicans throughout the country. So you've got two candidates in the state getting trying to get voters ostensibly to focus on different aspects of the economy, the local one and the national
2: one at the same time. I, I find that very interesting as well. Mm hmm so let's talk about the economy um because for months anthony when you and i have spoken on face the nation the themes have been for both parties economy 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 in terms of uh democrats and republicans they're very worried specifically about inflation they're worried about their kitchen table they're worried about costs in the governor's race the governor is the chief executive of the state um why are georgia voters saying they are bullish or relatively so on the economy, um, 55% say it's good, 31% you know, think that about the national economy. So what is happening in Georgia that is actually um, working? Or is it just, uh, is that a false comparison, the 55 to 31?
1: Oh, I don't think it's false comparison. I, another thing I'm interested in, because it relates to this, is the post, I mean, it's not really post-COVID, but in the voters' minds, a lot of this <laughs> is, is post-COVID. Um, and I certainly am not going to play, you know, epidemiology here, but um, but certainly people are still concerned about it. But the after effects of that, what happened in the state and what did they think of the COVID policies in the state? Some mm-hmm. of the the arguments you hear from campaigns from Republican governors is that because they didn't have as many restrictions or they eased restrictions, that they're trying to connect to more economic success. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, that's an arguable point. But in the voters' minds, if they give credit to a governor for some of that, then that connects to an economy rating that they might see as, as being better, as opposed to all the, the confusion and all the pushback you saw on the national level because people weren't sure about the guidance, especially as the as the pandemic wore on, Margaret.
2: And Kemp has a lead here of 52 to 46 um, like percent. Explain that. how much of that is economy.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, a substantial part of it is, and as some of it is some Democrats being willing to vote for him, certainly independents being willing to vote for him. One of the things that you see his lead, not only among independents such as they are, but also among people who think the economy is good, his lead widens even more. So that's where you see that that connection mm-hmm. really start to stand out, Mark. One so- other
3: thing on that point, just just to jump in for a second, we- Back to the ticket splitters, you know, in, in our estimation, four or 5% of Georgia likely voters would fall into the category of splitting their ticket between or not for Senate and Kemp for governor. And just how far Brian Kemp can overperform or outperform Herschel Walker, I think really comes down to the size of that group. Um, because ticket splitting is kind of a rare thing these days. I mean, mm-hmm. when you compare yeah. the current era to even as recently as the 90s, um, people just vote along straight straight party line much more often these days. And so even though 5% sounds like a small group and an absolute number, it actually popped out at me as being really significant. It's, it's why Kemp is up by six points in this survey while Warnock um, is up by two. And what we're seeing is that some of the places where Kemp is uh, running ahead even more are the Atlanta area and the Atlanta suburbs. And I think, and and that includes among college graduates and white college voters. I think that's an area of the state that a lot of us uh, election analysts are gonna be paying very close attention to in the month ahead, as well as on election night. The, The Atlanta suburbs, were, in part, how Joe Biden flipped the state. Yeah. Um, They they were one of the areas that moved the most relative to their previous baseline. And the question now is, are are voters in that area kind of shifting back to put a check on the Democrats?
2: So in the last gubernatorial race, Governor Kemp, which was contentious, right, Um, Kyle, Governor Kemp's margin was pretty narrow. Um, he could win more comfortably this time. What do you think has changed? Kabir's talking about, you know, changes in the Atlanta suburbs. But is it that like what is changing in the state that is it just that he's a known entity now? Um, you know, what, what, what are some of the trends you're seeing?
4: The general trend in American politics is that incumbency is probably not as electorally valuable as it used to be, but it it is still valuable. And one of the things you... you just in talking to people about races and looking at the history and whatnot is that, you know, gubernatorial incumbents in particular can be difficult to defeat. And so Kemp is just naturally kind of stronger now because he's the incumbent. It's also, um, even if we think that the political environment has become more neutral this year in 2022, it's, it's certainly not a democratic leaning environment the way that 2018 um, was. Um, Mm -hmm. I also wonder, and this is a hard thing to try to, to try to suss out, but, you know, I sometimes wonder if, if Republicans who are still broadly liked by Republican voters, as, as we saw in the primary, you know, Kemp defeated Trump back David Perdue in a, in a landslide. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Kemp was criticized by Trump a lot. And I kind of wonder if that's actually helpful to him with a certain small but important subset of independent voters or maybe, you know, to Kabir's point, some of the folks in the. Atlanta suburbs who may be sort mm-hmm. of realigning more from Republican to Democratic, but maybe they still think of themselves as a Republican on the state level, you know, being, um, you know, it seems like Kemp has, in part because uh, so many Republicans don't like Stacey Abrams, he's got very solid support from Republicans, but um, the, maybe the Trump criticism almost helps them, like almost sort of validate him to some very small degree, but important degree, uh, with uh, w- w- with uh, uh, you know with w- with some voters, particularly some voters again who might be independent ticket splitters.
2: So that that debate nationally over election integrity, Georgia's kind of become this, um, and certainly Stacey Abrams has become this uh, figurehead um, and an example. Um, depending on where you sit on on what goes right and what goes wrong, um, and just to remind us all, if you would, in that. Tough battle for the governorship last time round. Uh, Stacey Abrams accused camp of suppressing voter turnout. Um, what is it that you are expecting to see in terms of turnout this time round?
4: I mean Georgia, you know whatever <laughs> Abrams has, has has said about it, and I think she kind of came off as a as at least a sore loser last time. Um, but you know th- there also were some. I think legitimate criticisms that she made of Kemp because Kemp was the Secretary of State at the time, and so right. he had a you know important role in how the, the votes was, vote was conducted. But you know, bottom line is Georgia was was a pretty high turnout state in 2018 and, and was in 2020, um, particularly because the runoffs in the Senate happened after the presidential race. You know, naturally turnout's going to go down, but it was still pretty robust and ended up being a little bit better for Democrats than than Republicans. Um, I think we're all expecting this to be a fairly high turnout election. Now, I think if you're yeah. You know, if you're criticizing certain states for how they operate their elections, just because an election is high turnout doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't some subset of people who maybe feel like they have a harder time voting or there are certain hurdles erected for them. And so it's a very complicated um, uh, question. But, you know, again, this sort of feels like it's going to be just a lot of people showing up. in Georgia and all, and all over the country. Um, it's just that it's probably going to be just a more Republican-leaning mix of people, at least than it was in 2018 in a lot of places.
2: And Stacey Abrams um, was also really pointed to as a hero by the Biden administration um, when they went through that failed effort to push through the Voting Rights Act late last year. Um, she has driven up and takes credit for voter registration and um, having really picked up and and helping to bring the state to to President Biden. Um, And it's interesting because then you have this other dynamic with Governor Kemp being in this strange position in 2020 of not going along with President Trump's efforts to get the Secretary of State to change the outcome, uh, Brad Raffensperger, in his favor um, back in 2020. Georgia's this like picture of election integrity questions Um, is is what happened to Kemp hurting him at all with Republican voters or is this just not in their minds at all?
1: I don't think it's hurting him. Um, You know, there's we we measured that or tried to. And there's almost a quarter of Republicans who said that the investigation into what Donald Trump tried to do in Georgia was justified. Now, that's not everybody. And we use, you know, we usually speak in very broad terms. But since Mm -hmm. we're talking about on the margins here, a lot of this shifting, you know, you see a quarter of Republicans saying that's justified. That's about the same percentage that you see kind of pushing back against a lot of the election deniers um, that are that are so prominent or winning a lot of races in the party now. You've got uh, still a substantial number of Republicans that don't consider themselves to be MAGA supporters as well. Um, it's half, and so in all that, in all those respects, it's a little bit of a space there for that portion of the party, albeit by a lot of measures, a, a smaller one that uh, that doesn't want to see the party go go overly uh, uh, expressing too much loyalty to former President Trump.
3: We also asked, does does Brian Kemp agree with Donald Trump on issues in public statements too much, too little, or about the right amount? And among Republicans in Georgia, two-thirds say he agrees with Trump about the right amount. Um, And I would also say, uh, you know, to the issue about supposed um, election issues in 2020, um, this is going a little bit outside of just the poll, but what, what we've seen is that in states that have had a long history of early voting and voting by mail even pre-pandemic,
2: mm-hmm.
3: of which Georgia is one, lots of rough Republican voters continue to vote that way. So they did in 2020 and they probably will now. There, there will be lots who vote early in person and of course some who vote by mail. I think the, the polarization around how people are voting Um, which is very much connected to these kinds of uh, baseless allegations that there was widespread fraud in 2020.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
3: That happened a lot in states where the rules changes led to big changes in how people voted. So I'm thinking of states like Pennsylvania and uh, even Ohio to some extent. So it it just could be the case that Georgia Republicans are more skeptical of these kinds of claims that, that the Trump
2: campaign. um on the abortion question which we, we we talked about a little bit here um i am curious because in my inbox today this morning i got a blast about stacy abrams and her position and her what she's articulated recently in terms of her quote-unquote evolution on her views on abortion um it's it just it's an interesting dynamic when you have um this assumption nationwide that abortion is going to be a huge motivator for Democrats. Um, And it's such a divisive issue. It is such a complicated issue. And we're seeing some Republicans have um, difficulty explaining and reconciling, you know, sometimes their views if they tend to be a little bit more libertarian where they don't like abortion, but they don't want the government government telling them what to do. Explain how this dynamic is playing out in in the state of Georgia? Uh,
1: like, I, I, yeah, I know. I, I, look, I can start. It's playing out in Georgia much the way it's playing out across the country. And this, you know, previews again, we'll take another look at this uh, in our next battleground tracker. What you've seen is motivation. You use that word motivation for Democrats. We can measure that in very direct ways. Uh, Democrats say it's made them more likely to vote. We see candidates who are, uh, you know, on the Democratic side, presumed to be in a position to protect abortion access, are winning those usually majorities who say that they think um, abortion should be protected or access should be mm-hmm. protected in their state. We see that in Georgia specifically with Warnock up, you know, sixty-seven thirty-two among those who say abortion is very important. So all of that has been a, a dynamic that shifted this from we saw a sort of a potential Republican, very large lead as we headed into the summer. And then after the Roe v. Wade overturn, that lead sort of shrunk back in part because you see uh, Democrats more motivated. The extent to which that goes, where that goes from here, though, I think is is a key thing to watch. Um, Democrats are currently running on the issue um, in Georgia and every place else market.
2: Kyle, where are you seeing that actually reflected in, or if you track this at all, voter registration? Like, are we seeing new people come out and say they will vote and actually, you know, get prepared to do so in November?
4: There has been some evidence, um, particularly pushed by Democrats, that um, there has been some voter registration advantages for Democrats or, you know, constituencies who are likelier to be, um, you know, Democratic-leaning voters. You know, not every state has voter registration by party. Um, and, and a lot of people end up re- registering as you know as unaffiliated in certain places, so you don't quite have a party label for um, uh, for, for for those folks. Um, but I think it's also fair to note that prior to Dobbs, um, if you just looked at all the states that register voters by party, it's about thirty of the fifty states, roughly, and it contains a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the a lot of the bigger states. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the Republicans were generally uh, making gains throughout the course of 2021 and early 2022. So to the extent that Democrats are maybe doing well now, some of it may just be playing catch up to some extent. I mean, certainly, um, there are, you know, people who are motivated to vote and who register to vote, I think in part, because of the, or in large part because of the Dobbs decision, but it's, it's also to me anyway, just in looking at it, it's not like some, this huge mass of people that would necessarily like fundamentally shift where these electorates uh, are. I think that if if, in fact, Democrats do better this year than maybe we expected, you know, three, four months ago, it's probably because existing people in the electorate um, maybe change their minds or they reemphasize the abortion issue in the wake of Dobbs. And of course, you know, Dobbs is such an important um, development, an important decision that certainly would weigh on people's minds uh, more so than, than you know, before it happened.
2: Um. Anthony and Kabir, want to quickly ask you if you can give us any kind of teaser and preview of what you might be able to tell us about the push to control Congress. Um, what are you seeing in the data, if you can share any of it? I know you'll have final numbers for us on Sunday.
3: I, I can speak to that a little bit. So I will say, as soon as we're done with this conversation, we're going to go back to crunching the numbers that we'll be putting out this weekend. And one of the main things we'll put out is um, not just um, you know how many people in the country are currently supporting Democratic or Republican candidates, but how that translates to seats in Congress. So um, as of uh, late August, when we last did an update, um, Republican uh, votes would translate to about 226 seats in the House. Um, what I will say, and this echoes what, what Kyle and Anthony have said, is that So far, we have seen a very high proportion of registered voters saying they're definitely going to vote this year. And I do think that the abortion issue is galvanizing some Democrats and maybe even encouraging people to vote in this midterm year that maybe would have ordinarily sat it out. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, they're kind of closing a gap because the Republicans have been narrowly ahead on self-reported intention to vote. So in Georgia, for example, about three quarters of registered voters say, I'm definitely going to vote. But Republicans are a few points more likely than Democrats to say so. Um, so we're going to be closely tracking that turnout gap to see if it's changed. And then, of course, um, we'll have updated seats estimates. Um, it's been very close so far. We'll see how things move, and how things have moved in the last few months.
2: Mm-hmm. And we'll have a
3: bunch of survey findings to go along with that, so that I'm sure, can speak to a little bit,
2: T- Kyle. What what's your bet here? Are Republicans going to gain the majority in the House?
4: Yeah, I still I still think so. Uh, you know, my own assessment I think is pretty similar to um, you know what, what Kabir was talking about, at least in terms of the, the findings uh, uh, back in back in uh, late August. Um, you know, I will say I I was sort of thinking earlier in the cycle that we might be talking about um republicans potentially um vying to win net 35 seats which would have given them the biggest uh, republican house majority since right before the great depression um that would be two, 248 is the magic number there that that doesn't seem particularly realistic anymore and maybe it was never realistic but um you know i was sort of in the net in the 20s for a little while i'm more like net in the teens uh at at this point and you know, you just go through these races, and and I mean, you know, if you look at like the the, the spending by the by the the, the, the the parties, much more spending in Democratic leaning seats than, than Republican ones, and Democratic held seats. Um, but the Republicans are also spending money in, in seats that that maybe you'd think would be sort of like slam dunk pickups for them. So it's a it's kind of a complicated uh, uh, environment. Again, we've all had to. Change our assessments a little, at least a little bit, since the you know since the Dobbs decision. I think you could really you could sort of split up the the sort of lead up into the midterm as sort of pre-Dobbs and post-Dobbs, and mm-hmm. there is a difference.
1: These, uh, yeah. The other the other part of this really quickly is people have to remember as a baseline: the uh, after redistricting, after gerrymandering, the uh, House has a structural advantage towards the Republicans. Not just because they're the out party in a president's midterm year, mm-hmm. but also the fact that the you know even an even national House vote would still most likely swing the House to the Republicans. The Democrats have to do even better on that. And that's a okay. structural edge that's built in uh, that folks have to sort of go into this with.
2: All right. Yeah, well,
4: one, one, one way to quantify that real quick is just that the about the median House seat by presidential performance is like Biden plus two and Biden won mm-hmm. by four and a half in the national vote. So a couple of points skewed toward the toward the Republicans.
2: OK, well, we're going to have more to talk about when we get those final numbers that Kabir and Anthony are um, going to crunch. I'll let you guys get back to work. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us for this chat today. Um, Thanks and- for having me. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday on Face the Nation.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts